Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Word of God for our meditation this evening is Psalm 69, selected verses we read. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink into the deep mud where there is no place to stand. I have entered deep waters, and the rapids rush over me. I am worn out from my crying. My throat is sore. My eyes are blurry as I wait for my God. Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs on my head. Those who want to destroy me, my lying enemies, are strong. May those who place their confidence in you not be put to shame because of me, O Lord, the Lord of armies. May those who seek you not be disgraced because of me, O God of Israel. It is for your sake that I bear scorn. Shame covers my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers, a foreigner to my mother's sons. Yes, a zeal for your house consumes me. The scorn of those you scorn falls on me. I direct my prayer to you, O Lord, for a time of favor. God, in the greatness of your mercy, answer me with the certainty of salvation from you. Rescue me from the mud so I do not sink. Let me escape from those who hate me and from the deep waters. Do not let the rapids rush over me. Do not let the deep swallow me up. Do not let the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, O Lord, for your mercy is good. According to your great compassion, turn to me. Do not hide your face from your servant, because I am in distress. Hurry, answer me. Come near, redeem my soul, ransom me because of my enemies. You know my disgrace, my shame, and my confusion. All my foes are in front of you. Disgrace has broken my heart, and I am helpless. I waited for sympathy, but there was none. I waited for comforters, but I did not find any. Instead, they put bitter poison in my food. For my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. But I am afflicted and in pain. O God, may salvation from you set me on high. I will praise God's name in song. I will proclaim his greatness with thanksgiving. The poor will see and be glad. You who seek God, may your hearts live. The Lord listens to the needy, and he does not despise the captives who belong to him. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and all that move in them. This is the word of our Lord. Dear friends in Christ, that psalm, written by David, is, along with Psalm 22, the most graphic of the messianic psalms. That means that although it was composed some thousand years before Christ, it is written by inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the voice of the Messiah and describes for us what Jesus experienced during his passion. And it is particularly appropriate appropriate for us to consider Psalm 69 in connection with the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane because we find here a a good description of what was going on with our Savior that night as he went off to pray after dinner. 
a reading from Mark this evening, described Jesus as troubled and distressed. And he told Peter, James, and John, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow, even to the point of death. Our psalm reveals the depth of the emotional and mental stew that stirred within him and would not give him any peace. No one has ever known heartache or soul sickness like his. What caused it? It would be impossible to say what was most responsible, but the first thing we consider is the weight of his mission. Jesus knew and understood what no one else on earth did, that the salvation of the entire world Every sinner ever created or conceived from Adam down to the last embryo, the salvation of all depended on what he would do or allow to be done to him in the next hours. It was the only way, and it was all on him. The forgiveness of all our disobediences the defeat of death and the devil, the deliverance from damnation and the breaking of our bonds to sin. No one else could do it. And it was the very purpose of his life on earth. And now it was all fulfilled. The time had come and he was in it all alone. No one around him understood no one listened when he explained. No one offered sympathy or comfort in his hour of need. All would abandon him. Peter even would deny him three times. Even the inner three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, the same three who had witnessed his transfiguration, even they could not even stay awake to keep him company in his troubles and sorrow. And that just made his distress deeper. The psalm also describes the opposition Jesus faced. It's good for us to remember that the plotting and hatred of the chief priests and the elders and such was not a new thing that surprised him that Thursday evening. Their hostility had been there from the beginning and only grew as his ministry continued. That he was perfectly innocent that his will was perfectly aligned with the Father's, that they had no reason to hate or destroy him, made no difference to them. Their opposition was strong, and they outnumbered the hairs on his head. Their hostility had come to a head when he made this last trip to Jerusalem, but it had for him already been a well-known and much-experienced reality. Such undeserved and unending hatred weighs heavily on the heart. And Christ's knowledge of the suffering and death that lay ahead would have weighed mightily on his mind. He had already told his disciples that he would be betrayed, condemned, and crucified, though they hadn't wanted to believe it. But he was well aware, even confident, of all the pain terror, torture, and tears that the next day would hold. It was as though it were all already happening. So it is perfectly reasonable that he felt as though he was drowning in deep waters or, or sinking into unyielding mud. He had nothing left 
to do in his distress, but wait for his God, to cry out to his Father and ask him to come near, to redeem his soul, to ransom him because of his enemies. He prayed. That is what Psalm 69 really is. The prayer of the Messiah to his heavenly Father in the deepest depths of his distress before and and even on the cross. The psalm is not necessarily a a play-by-play of his prayer in Gethsemane, but it reads as though it could be. And through prophecy, it gives us the basic picture and content of all his praying during his passion. So, What does he say? How does he pray? First, first we see him lay bare his soul and tell the Lord, his Father, all his troubles. And he does not hesitate to go into detail or or depth. He doesn't share these things because the Father doesn't know them, but he shares them because these are the things that the Father invites His children to bring and lay before Him for His attention. He cares and He listens. He wants us to tell. And His Son clearly also cares. Even with all He was going through, the Messiah's prayer in this psalm includes concern for other people right from the start. May those who place their confidence in you not be put to shame because of me. May those who seek you not be disgraced because of me. He knows what could happen to the faith of the weak when they see his suffering or when they have their hopes shattered. And so he prays that no one's faith be be shaken or emptied or corrupted by what happens to him. We also see here how the Messiah Our merciful Savior bases His prayer to the Father on the greatness of Your mercy and the certainty of salvation from You. He is counting on the grace and goodness of God and on the fulfillment of all of the Lord's promises, not just to Him, but to all Israel and to all the world as given in His Word for all generations. This is Faith in the one and only God who loves not only His Son, but the entire world in spite of their sin and rebellion. The Son doesn't found His prayer on His relationship with the Father or on His own goodness or merit. He instead places all His hope and confidence in the greater truth of the Lord's identity and character, that He is a merciful and loving God, full of grace and eager to redeem the lost and welcome straying sinners home to Him. Though the Messiah is not Himself a sinner, He is suffering as one because all the world's sins lie upon him. And so in his distress, he asks for saving. He asks for rescue. He asks for answers. Asks that the Lord not hide his face. Asks him to come near, redeem his soul, and ransom him because of his enemies. He is feeling real human pain and distress. And like any man, 
He would rather not have to suffer it. He asks that this cup be taken from him. But whatever the answer will be, he trusts in the goodness of his Father's will. So it is natural, then, that without having yet the, the answer or the salvation he asked for or, or yet being set on high, he turns from his pleas to praise and thanksgiving. He knows that the Father will always make good on his promises. He knows that the Lord always comes through for those who trust in him. Knows that he always answers the prayers of those who ask in faith. So he resolves to praise God's name in song and proclaim his greatness with thanksgiving. And he pairs this with, with yet another strong statement of faith and confidence offered this time not so much in prayer as in instruction and encouragement for everyone else who suffers. For the Lord listens to the needy and he does not despise the captives who belong to him. It is not hard then to, to picture this psalm as Christ's prayer in Gethsemane, is it? It is consistent with everything we see there, even with his persistence. And that is one thing that we often overlook about his time there in the garden. With so many things on his mind, and knowing that Judas would be there any minute to betray him to his enemies, we would excuse Jesus if he found more important things to do than pray or were simply too distracted. But no, Jesus is steadfast in his prayer, as in all things. Despite everything that is against him, outside factors, internal factors, and feckless friends, in spite of it all, he keeps on. Many of us, if we ever got to the initial praying, would give it up after the first try or, or get discouraged by the disciples dozing or say, what more can I ask? But Jesus did not. He was resolute. He was firm. He was persistent in his prayers. But then the time came when the praying was done and he stopped. It is enough, he said. All the prayers had been spoken. His betrayer was near. and It was the hour for his suffering to begin in earnest. As Christians, or at least as confessional Lutherans, we always want, strive to be careful not to put too much emphasis on Jesus as our model as though the most important thing to learn from the gospel is how we should live like him. Lent and Holy Week show us especially well that our emphasis should rather be on Jesus as our Savior, as the one who embodied God's grace and love and, and sacrificed himself to take away the sins of the world. But here in dark Gethsemane and in Psalm 69, there is much that we can learn and that the Holy Spirit wants us to learn about prayer. We can follow Christ's example in freely 
and deeply praying for what stirs our hearts and souls in whatever sorrow or distress we might find ourselves. God wants to hear our troubles. The Lord listens to the needy. Most of all, we learn from Jesus to base our prayers and to claim our answers on the Lord's great goodness and love which is paired with his infinite ability to do whatever we ask of him. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. We trust in his grace and power. But we also keep our prayers centered, not on our own desires or preferences, but on God's wisdom and plan. Not what I will, but what you will. Christ's persistence in prayer is also something we want to imitate. We we don't give up at the first discouragement or, or when we don't get the answer we want when we want it. But at the same time, we also recognize that an hour comes when the time for praying is done. And it is time to get to work or time to move on to whatever God's will has in store for us next. We cannot use prayer as a delaying tactic when we're not happy with his answer or or non-answer. This is the way Jesus, our Savior, prayed. And this is the way we, his people, pray. As he was steadfast, we are steadfast. As the saints of God, we imitate the one whose sacrifice has changed us from sinners into saints. We do not want to be like Peter, James, and John there in the garden, whose whose spirits were willing, but whose flesh was weak. The answer always to trouble, to weak flesh, to temptation, is to turn to the Lord and his strength, to do what Jesus said and did, to watch and pray. Amen. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen.